Now, tonight we're going to continue our study on the upper room. And so I'm going to ask you to go to John chapter 15. Esta noche continuamos nuestro estudio sobre el aposento alto. Y estamos en Juan, el capítulo 15. Uh, estamos ahí comenzando el verso 1. We'll start in John 15 and verse 1. I shared with you a couple weeks ago about the importance of the upper room discourse. Eh, les enseñé hace unas semanas sobre la importancia del discurso de, del aposento alto. Uh, el discurso del aposento alto es uh, una enseñanza que da el nuestro Señor Jesucristo desde el capítulo 13 de Juan al capítulo 17. The upper room discourse is a teaching given by Jesus on the night before his crucifixion. Starts in John 13, goes through John 17. How many of you have been reading that? All right, if you haven't, uh, get, get on that um, because it will be a blessing to you. And I want you to just think about how important last words are. Uh, son muy importantes las últimas palabras. When we prepare to say goodbye to a loved one, their last words are very meaningful to us. Cuando nos preparamos para decirle adiós a un ser querido, sus últimas palabras nos tienen mucho valor, tienen mucho valor. Now, the week before my mother went to be with the Lord, she uh, called the whole family in to her room and blessed every single individual member of the family. And those final parting words are of a treasure to me and a treasure to us. And so the, uh, the, uh, the discourse, the upper room discourse, is the record of Jesus' final teaching, his final sermon. We really don't call it a sermon because he wasn't standing up in front of people and talking, but he was at a table most of the night, and he was teaching them. And they were sitting there, not necessarily with notebooks and uh, pen and paper, but they were sitting there listening and absorbing the things he had to say. And there were some themes that he brought out in this message as he prepared them for the fact that he was going to be gone. Tomorrow he'll be crucified and in uh, 40 days or so he's going to be in heaven. So there's going to be a separation take place between Jesus and the disciples. Está para ocurrir una separación entre Jesús y sus discípulos y él los está preparando para esa, esa separación. Los está preparando para su despedida. El día de mañana va a ser crucificado y en 40 días va a ser ascendido al cielo. Así que van a tener que prepararse. ¿Cómo va a ser la vida sin él? What will life be like without the physical presence of Jesus? They have been with him three years. They have seen him eat. They've seen him sleep. They've seen him teach. They've seen him preach. They've seen him uh, cleanse the temple. These, they've seen him do everything. And now he's going to be gone. So what is life like in the absence of the physical presence of Jesus? And that's why these chapters are so important. Because it's Jesus telling us this is what life looks like when I'm not here. And what it should look like until I get back. Uh, usted y yo estamos oyendo a Jesús decirles a sus discípulos y a nosotros por extensión, así se ve la vida del cristiano cuando yo no estoy presente físicamente. You know, it's easy to behave when mom and dad are in the house, right? Or maybe not so easy, but it should be easier. 
But when mom and dad are not in the house, then what does the house look like? Cuando mamá y papá están en la casa, es fácil obedecer y, y hacer las cosas que se deben de hacer. Y, y si se nos olvida, oímos a mamá decir, Julio, ya te dije. Y ya se acabó todo, ¿eh? ya se acabó todo. Pero cuando no están en casa, ¿ahora qué voy a hacer? ¿Cómo me voy a portar? When, when mom and dad are gone, now you have to decide how you're going to live based on what they told you. And based on what you've learned. So the disciples are going to have to figure out how to live without the physical presence of Jesus. They're going to have the spiritual presence of Jesus because we less, le learned last week that Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. Say amen, somebody. And so he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you orphans. You're not going to be without a mom or a dad. You're going to have the presiding, superintending grace of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you will listen to him, he'll teach you. And he'll give you power, and he'll give you wisdom, and he'll give you word, and he'll give you insight. Uh, él les dice, los voy a dejar, pero no solos. Les voy a enviar el Espíritu Santo. Y este Espíritu Santo les va a guiar a toda justicia. Les, los va, les va a enseñar. Lo que no saben, les va, los, les va a enseñar. Y lo que se han olvidado, les, se los va a recordar. And, and so we are not alone. We have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the logo there, you'll see there are a few things. First is the heart. We talked about that. Uh, the first time, uh, or two weeks ago, as our, we began the study, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. All right, you remember that? Then you see on there the dove, and that dove reminds us and symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphan, but I will send you another helper. I'll send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And then we see there, the cup uh, and the bread, and we're going to be talking about that on Friday, the communion meal that Jesus gave to the church. Uh, we're going to be learning about that in the, in the upper room is when it was given. And then you see there that arrow pointing up. That is the fact that Jesus said, I'm, I'm going up, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and get you so you can go up with me. Say amen, somebody. Are you looking forward to that? And tonight we're going to look at, we haven't talked about chapter 14 yet. Now we'll talk about that after Holy Week. But I want to deal with tonight that, that grape that you see there, that grapevine. And we read about it in John chapter 15, verse 1. So I hope you had enough time now to find, find it. And if uh, you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about it. We'll have it up here on the screen. But do prepare to take some notes if you can. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Your Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept your, my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that, you may, so that my joy may be in you, and, the, and that your joy may be made full. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that you care to teach us your word, that we might live in victory. And I pray tonight for the anointing of the Spirit to teach and that you would uh, carry on what you have already begun in our hearts in worship into this teaching and study time. And we ask that you would give us the grace to receive it with open hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. The portion of scripture I just read to you is so full that it would probably, you could preach on it a whole year and never unpack all of it because there's so much in there. But don't worry, I'm not going to preach all that tonight, okay? just I just want to deal with a, a, a couple of things. But I want you to notice, first of all, uh, just in summary, that Jesus says that he is the vine. Say, Jesus is the vine. Uh, he says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. But before he gets to the vine, the branches, he says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. A, a vine dresser is the uh, person, the cultivator, the husbandman, who is responsible for pruning the vine, for caring for the vine, making sure that it is fruitful. Jesús nos dice, yo soy la vid, y mi padre es el labrador. Y el labrador es aquel que tiene el, la responsabilidad de cultivar a, a la viña. Now, the way that Jesus says it in the Greek is very important because he says, first of all, that he, he is the genuine vine. Jesús ahí nos dice, yo soy la vi genuina. Uh, a few years ago, I traveled to California, and our, our pastor there, one of them, uh, uh, many of the people there have worked in the fields, in the, in the vineyards in particular. And so they gave me a little tour of a vineyard. And they said, look, Pastor, they said, this is the true vine. This is the, the stock from which uh, we want to get the grapes and the grape, uh, grape juice of whatever process or, or product they're going to uh, produce. But along with it often will grow a false vine. In other words, some of the seed from the true vine will fall into the ground and then it'll start a kind, a vine will grow up next to the true vine. And the worker has to know which fruit is from the true vine and which fruit, which fruit is not from the true vine. And it, to me, it all looked the same. But they were trained and, uh, and skilled well enough that they could understand the difference and notice the difference. And the fruit that was from the, from a, uh, the ungenuine vine could not be harvested. It could not be used. It was not uh, going to become part of any grape juice or, or wine or it's not going to end up in your grocery store because it was not genuine. And so Jesus tells us, I am the genuine vine. In other words, there are other vines. There are other systems. There are other religions. There are other gods, little g gods, and they want to claim to be the true vine. But I am the true vine. And he says, my father knows the difference. 
My father is the husbandman. Now that word husbandman, it's an old English word. It's a word we get the word husband from. Any husbands in here? Well, the, hus- the word husband comes from the word husbandman, which meant the one who was the cultivator of the, of the, of the field, the cultivator of the vine. And uh, you think about what that means. That means that a husband has to cultivate his wife. Say amen, ladies. And cultivate his family. That's the, the original meaning of that word. And God, God the Father is the husbandman. Now, the way Jesus says it, he says, my father is my husbandman, meaning that the father does not work on any other vines. God the Father will not bless any other system but Jesus. He will not, he will not bless the preaching of psychology. He will not bless the preaching of, of uh, uh, philosophy. He will not bless the, the, the ideas of men. He will only bless the, the message of Jesus. He won't bless the message of Buddha or Mohammed or uh, Mary, or Abraham, or any other message that claims to be the truth. Only Jesus has the approval of the Father. Say amen, somebody. And so Jesus says, my Father, he says, I'm the genuine vine. I'm the genuine article. Jesus is the real Coca-Cola, all right? You have cola, and you have Dr. Cola, right? And then you have Coca-Cola. And in my case, you have Dr. B and Dr. Thunder and Dr. Whoever else, but then there's the genuine article, right? There's Dr. Pepper. And there's a difference, isn't there, uh, between the genuine and the, the off-brand. Jesus says, I'm the genuine article. I'm the real deal. I'm the true blue. I'm the one that God the Father has approved. And you are my branches. You are the extension of my life on the earth. Él dice, yo soy la vida genuina y ustedes son los pámpanos, son los brazos. Son la extensión mía en la tierra. Now just think about that. What an extraordinary thing. Jesus is saying to the disciples and he's saying to you tonight. He says, you are an extension of me. Jesús nos está diciendo y les está diciendo a los discípulos, ustedes son extensión de mí. Entonces lo que hay en la vid, hay en el brazo. What's in the vine is in the branches. Say amen, somebody. Listen, if the vine has favor, the branches have favor. If the vine has peace, the branches have peace. If the vine has joy, the branches have joy. If the vine has health, then the branches have health. Come on, somebody, I'm talking about you. Everything that's in Jesus, you have access to because you are a branch. Lo que hay en Cristo, usted y yo lo tenemos. Si la vida tiene paz, si la vida tiene gozo, si la vida tiene favor, usted también lo tiene porque el pámpano tiene lo que tiene la vida, tiene lo que tiene el tronco. Entonces, Jesús nos dice, ustedes son los pámpanos Y mi Padre es glorificado cuando los pámpanos dan fruto. He says, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Now, Jesus tells us there's three types of fruit the Father wants. There's really one type, but in three categories. He says he wants fruit. Everybody say fruit. Fruit, good fruit, and much fruit. All right, say it again. Fruit, good fruit. And must fruit. No, much fruit. That's, that's right. Jesús nos dice ahí, el Padre está buscando fruto, buen fruto, 
mucho fruto. Fruit. He's looking for results. He's looking for the fruit of his life in me. Él está buscando el fruto de su vida en mí. Now that means if he's a vine branch, if part of he's a vine, uh, he's not going to bear oranges. Because that wouldn't be his fruit. And so whatever is in Jesus has to be manifesting in the branches. And the, the branches have to produce what Jesus is. Jesus is love. The branches love. Jesus has uh, forgives. The branches forgive. Jesus has long-suffering and patience. Guess what? The branches have long-suffering and patience. The, the, the branches have self-control. Jesus has self-control. The branches have self-control. We bear the fruit of Jesus. Usted y yo damos fruto de Jesús. In fact, in another place, Jesus said, by your fruits, by their fruits, you shall know them. Jesús en otro lugar dijo, por sus frutos los conoceráis. He's saying, when you want to know what somebody really about, look at their fruit. Don't look at their leaves. Because some people put on a big show, right? You, you tuck around in there and there's no fruit. It's just, it's just a show. He says, by your fruits you're going to be known. And so he says, my father is looking for fruit. But he wants good fruit. And he wants much fruit. Say, a whole lot of fruit. Él quiere fruto, pero también quiere buen fruto. Que el fruto sea bueno, que sea provechoso, que sea de avance y que sea mucho fruto. It's got to be good fruit. The kind of fruit that blesses people. The kind of fruit that helps somebody in need. The kind of fruit that advances the kingdom of God. Is anybody in here who's got some good fruit? And then much fruit. That means in the winter, we're bearing fruit. In the springtime, we're bearing fruit. In the summer, we're bearing fruit. In the fall, we're bearing fruit. Every season of our life, when we feel like it, we're bearing fruit. And we don't feel like it, we're still bearing fruit. Say amen, somebody. Good fruit and much fruit. Now, he tells us then that the secret to being able to do this is to abide in him. Él dice, para poder lograr esto, ser frutíferos, poder producir fruto, Buen fruto y mucho fruto, tenemos que habitar en él, uh, to abide in him. Everybody say abide. Now Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm about to leave. But when I'm gone, I want you to bear fruit. I want your life to prove that you just spent three years with me. Jesús les está diciendo a los discípulos, yo estoy para partir de la tierra. Pero cuando yo me vaya, yo quiero que haya fruto en su vida. Que haya un, una, un fruto de que uh, ustedes han pasado, una evidencia o prueba que ustedes han pasado tiempo conmigo. And, and I want to just get you to think about that tonight because that's what God is saying. Let's, let's look at our life the way God looks at it. And we have to understand this, God expects fruit out of our life. Does God have the right to expect anything from you? And what's he saying? He's saying, Isaac, I want to know, I want to have some proof that I saved you. 
I want to have some proof that I, that I called you, that I anointed you, that I have blessed you, that I have favored you. All those things I've done for you, I want the proof of it. I want you to glorify God the Father by bearing fruit and showing the world that Jesus was with you, that Jesus was in you, that Jesus did this thing in your life. And so he said, I'm about to leave, but I, I'm leaving, but my fruit is not leaving. My fruit is going to remain on the earth. Isn't that exciting to think that Jesus is still bearing fruit on the earth? 2,000 years later, he's still bearing fruit on the earth, and it's coming out of your life. Say amen, somebody. That's exciting. Dos mil años después de que Cristo ascendió al cielo, todavía está dando fruto. Y ese fruto está siendo producido en nuestra vida. So, you know, next time somebody cuts you off on the highway and instead of instead of, of cursing them or cussing them, you just say, go on ahead, God bless you. You ought to just say, whoa, Jesus, you just bore some fruit. Because that's not me. The next time somebody offends you and you show them love and you bless them instead of curse them, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. You just bore some fruit in my life. This isn't my fruit. It's Jesus' fruit. It's the result of his life in my life. But how do I become fruitful? ¿Cómo es que yo puedo ser fructífero? I have to abide. Say abide again. Now the word abide, uh, there's another word here is connected to it. It's the word sojourn. And uh, literally it means to set up your tent. To settle in a place. Jesus says you have to settle in me. Set up your tent in me. In my life. Jesús nos dice tienes que habitar. Aprende a habitar. Y esa palabra nos da el sentido de una persona que ha establecido su campamento o ha extendido su tienda, su tienda para habitar en un lugar. Now, we don't sojourn really like the, uh, Abraham did, but you think about Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob. They sojourned. They would travel, and wherever God told them to stop, they would stop. They would set up their tent, and they would sojourn there. They would settle. They would put their stakes in the ground, and they were going to stay there for a long time. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, put your stakes in the ground, and and set up shop in me. Build your house in me. Settle here. It's like when you move into a house, you got everything off the moving truck, and then you start unpacking it, and you have settled in that house. And some of you have settled in that house so long, you don't even remember what's in that house anymore. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to settle into Christ. Él quiere que habitemos, que establecemos nuestra vivienda en Cristo. That means Jesus is the house I live in. Jesus is the environment, the atmosphere of my life. Eso significa que Cristo es la atmósfera de mi vida. Él es la casa donde yo vivo. Jesus is not living in my house. Jesus is the house. Jesus is the land. Jesus is the, the ground and the foundation. Jesús es la tierra y el fundamento. Es el, el, um, la labor, es el, el lugar donde yo he establecido y estoy establecido en mi vida. Now, a lot of people don't ever bear fruit 
because they never settle. They they just they're like they're like nomads. They come in and out, in and out, in and out. Muchos nunca dan fruto porque no se establecen en Cristo. Están fuera y adentro, fuera y adentro, fuera y adentro. Listen, if if you want to live that way, you can, but you're not going to bear any fruit that way. You've got to settle. You've got to abide in Christ. You've got to sink in to Christ. Tienes que establecerte en Cristo y el que quiere estar dentro y fuera nunca va a dar fruto en su vida. Y si da fruto va a ser poco fruto. Entonces tenemos que aprender a habitar. Now the Bible tells us several times uh, where we have to and how to abide in Christ. What this means. So I want us to unpack it tonight. In John chapter 6 verse 56. En Juan uh, 6 verso 56. Vemos una de las uh, enseñanzas de cómo habitar en Cristo. The Bible tells us there, uh, Jesus speaking, he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood does what? Abides in me and I in him. Now this is one of the most difficult to understand Bible verses especially for a new believer or a stranger to the gospel. It just sounds a little bit weird, right? What do you mean, eat your flesh and drink your blood? And you can imagine what Jesus' first audience thought when they heard that. In fact, when they heard that, the Bible says that the multitudes left him. Couldn't take it. They didn't know what it meant, but they knew they just couldn't take it. And that's when, when Jesus turned around and he said to the, to the disciples, are you guys going to leave also? And Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, where could we go? Only you have the word of life. What had Peter done? Peter had already pitched his tent and set his stakes on Jesus. He was saying, Lord, I don't have anywhere to go. Is there anybody in here that doesn't have anywhere to go? Come on, I mean, you have no place to go. You say, Lord, I'm with you thick or thin. I'm with you for the long haul. I'm with you for as long as this takes until I'm in heaven. I'm with you, Jesus, because where can I go? Only you have words of life. Only you have power to heal and power to save and power to deliver. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody here that knows that Jesus is the only way to go? But they left him, the crowds left him, because they heard him say, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now, we don't, we don't think that he's talking about the communion, uh, although it, it is later referenced in the same way concerning the communion. But the communion had not yet been established yet. So they would have had no idea what he meant when he said, I eat my flesh and drink my blood. Cuando él dice, come mi carne y bebe mi sangre, esto es algo raro. Es, es difícil de entender o a dar aprobación. Entonces muchos lo dejan. Eh, y él no está refiriéndose a la cena del Señor, aunque después va a ser inaugurada esa, esa cena. Y, y la cena del Señor es muy importante, pero es na, es, no es lo que él es, se está refiriendo aquí. Jesus is not here referring to the communion. What Jesus here is saying, if you read the whole chapter, in the chapter he says, I am the bread of life. 
And whoever eats of me will never die. He was telling them, my, he was telling them, your life, your spiritual life is in me. I'm your bread. And so unless you eat me and drink me, you don't have life. But when you eat me, you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, when you accept all of me as your bread, as your nourishment, then you will have life because you're abiding in me. Jesús ahí nos está enseñando que el que lo come, porque él había en el capítulo 6 de Juan, dice yo soy el pan de vida y el que de mí comiere jamás morirá. Él está diciendo el que me come a mí, el que be, me bebe a mí, uh, yo seré su pan, yo seré su nutrimiento espiritual. Porque la vida espiritual está en Cristo. Spiritual life is in Jesus and in no place else. La vida espiritual está en Cristo y en ningún otro lugar. Listen, guys, you can't find spiritual life in religion. Usted no puede hallar vida espiritual en la religión. You can go to religion, and that means, you know, you, you do the rituals, you sing the songs, you sit when they sit, you stand when they stand, you, you learn the, the prayers, you can go through all of those things in some Some religious people are sitting in the church right here at Creekville. But they think that if they go to a religion, they're going to have life. No way. There's no spiritual life in religion. It's like climbing a ladder and then getting to the top and realizing you're on the wrong wall. That's all religion does. It works you, and then you realize that you're on the wrong wall. And guess what, friends? When you're standing in God, before God in judgment and it's heaven or hell, which wall you are leaning on is going to make all the difference in the world. I don't want to be on the wrong wall. But that's what religion does. Religion is like a treadmill. It wears you out and you go nowhere. Well, if you use it, right? Si usted como la máquina de correr, si usted se sube a la máquina a correr, así es la religión. Corre, 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 no llega nada. Se abaja en el mismo lugar donde se, se subió. Así es la religión. Religion is just like that treadmill. You get off in the same place you got off. You're still lost. You're still a sinner. You're still going to hell if you don't know Jesus. You're still living in, in poverty. You're still broken. You're still confused. You have to have life in Jesus, not in religion. It's spiritual life is in Jesus and in no place else. You can't get spiritual life in morals either. Now, morals are important, aren't they? And, and morality is a, is, a, is, a, is a teaching of the Bible, but it is not the teaching of the Bible. And many times uh, people get into trouble, churches get into, into trouble because they teach morals. They teach do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. A veces las iglesias enseñan morales, y los morales son importantes. Pero los morales no son vida espiritual. Morals do not give you spiritual life, and neither do emotions. You can't get spiritual life through emotions and emotionalism. La vida espiritual no llega por la emoción. So stop coming to church and leaving disappointed if you say, I just didn't feel anything. 
Or you come to church and say, I just don't feel it today. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to raise my hands. I'm not going to give in the offering. I'm not going to take notes. I'm just not feeling it today. Do you know that you feeling it has nothing to do with you coming and worshiping God? The Lord never said, let everything that feels it praise the Lord. He said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if you can... You have to praise the Lord whether you're feeling it or not. Just tell your flesh. You just sit down and be quiet for a little while. I am going to worship God. And you getting the word doesn't have anything to do with whether you feel it or not. Or whether it's Pastor Isaac or not. Oh, but it's not Pastor Isaac. I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a novice. You need the word. Say amen, somebody. Because... The getting it is not about emotions. It's not about feelings. Abiding in Christ is not about religion. It's not about emotions. It's not, not about morals. It's about having consumed the whole person of Jesus. Taking all of Jesus, that part you like and the part you don't like, the part you understand, the part you don't understand. When you abide in Christ, when you have eaten his flesh, and drank his blood. You're saying, Jesus said that. I cannot debate him. I'm not going to argue with him. That's what he said. He said that if you will believe, you will speak to that mountain and be, and it will be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done according to your word. I, that's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to accept. But Jesus said it. It's in red letters, and that's all there is to it. I have wholesale believed Jesus. Come on, somebody. When he says, if you eat my, my body and drink my blood, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you abide in me. Si usted bebe de mi sangre, come mi carne, usted habita en mí. And now, when you're abiding in him, there's fruit. There's proof. You love. You have faith. How many have faith? Do you know that if you have faith, that's proof that God is abiding in you. Cuando usted está habitando y ha recibido todo de Cristo, usted recibe el producto de su presencia en su vida y da fruto uh, de, de eso. Usted tiene fe porque Cristo está en su vida. Usted tiene amor porque Cristo está en su vida. Listen, have you ever made a, a cake from scratch? Or have you ever seen anybody make a cake from scratch? Some of you still don't know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gone on YouTube and watched somebody make a cake from scratch? Now, I'm asking that because the cake mix is already, it's already in there. But if you watch someone make a cake from scratch, all the ingredients are separate. What's in a cake? Sister said flour, sugar, eggs, vanilla, baking powder, salt. Isn't that strange? You put salt and sugar in the same cake, and it's sweet. Some things are too wonderful for me to understand. <laughs> All right, now when you eat a, a slice of cake, you ate baking powder. Or is it baking soda? What is it? Baking powder. You ate baking powder. How many of you would just take a scoop of baking powder and eat it? <laughs> if you do it, you'll do it only once. 
of your lifetime. You know that you ate a slice of cake, you ate salt. You ate sugar. You ate flour. You ate eggs. I don't like eggs. Well, it's in there. And, and then your body takes that and it distributes what's in there to the place in your body that needs it. It takes out the waste, and then if there's anything left that's not waste, it, it sends it into your body. It makes it into energy or whatever else. I'm going to stop there because I don't know exactly how that works. That's even more wonderful to me. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you take me in, I'm going to go into every cell in your body and in your spirit, and every cell in you will have me in it. When you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are going to have me in all of you. You can't tell your hand, don't eat that cake. That cake, whatever nutrients are in that cake is coming to your hand, it's coming to your knees, it's coming to your back, it's coming to your spleen. Whatever is in there is coming to every cell in your body that needs it. And Jesus is saying, you have to make me your nutrition. I have to be that whole thing that you feast on. Stop feasting on any other thing. I'm the whole thing. You are a one bread man, a one bread woman. You don't eat some Jesus bread and some Buddha bread and some Mary bread. It's Jesus on Monday, Jesus on Tuesday, Jesus on Wednesday, Jesus on Thursday, Jesus on Friday, Jesus on Saturday. Twice on Sunday, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Come on, somebody. He says, if you do that, you are abiding in me. Then, I have to go on because we're running out of time. He says in, in John 15, 7, abide in my word. Everybody say, abide in my word. Abide in my word. Now, Jesus told them right here, he said, you are clean because of my word. Do you realize that the word of Jesus is so powerful it can clean you? Every day, you and I live in a dirty world. We're going to get some dirt on us. You've got to have the word of God cleaning you every day. Jesús les dice aquí en el capítulo 15, Ustedes son limpios por mi palabra. Eso quiere decir que cada día, usted y yo vivimos en un día, en una, un mundo donde se enmugra. Nuestros pies con el mundo. Y Jesús dice, yo les he lavado los pies, les he lavado su vida con mi palabra. Y son limpios. You are clean now. Now, Jesus, all he said was, you are clean because of my word. He says, so abide in my word. Él dice, habita en mi palabra. That means that we need to read the word. Say, read the word. How many of you read the word? Okay, I, I'm glad you do, and hope it's not just when you come to church on Sunday and, and Wednesday, but read the Word daily. You, you say, well, Pastor, I don't read well, I can't see, or I don't know how to read. Get an audio Bible. Don't let anything keep the Word out of your life. Because he says, abide in my Word, and my Word abides in you. Él dice, habita en mi palabra, y mi palabra habita en En ustedes. Now, now, we don't just want to read the word. You need to digest it, meditate on it, memorize it. 
You need to memorize the word. Not just so that when someone asks you an important question, uh, you can know the answer to it and have a Bible verse to go with it. But there's other reasons why you need to memorize the scripture. And uh, one of the reasons is so that you can abide in the word in the day of trouble. Listen, um, things come up in life that surprise you. Anybody ever been surprised by life? So you might hear a rumor this week. They're laying people off at the company. Now, when you hear that rumor, they're laying people off at the company, you're going to have an option. Are you going to abide in the word or are you going to abide in the rumor? Here's what worry looks like. Worry looks like this. When you go and you abide in your fears, that's what worry is. You have the other option to go and abide in the word. So instead of going home saying, they're going to lay off people and I just had a bad week. I don't even know if I'm going to be the first one on the chopping block. Instead of doing all of that, you just stop yourself and you say, wait a minute. What does God's word say? And then you stay on that word until the storm passes. You just put your stakes in and say, God, this is what you told me. I'm not letting up. I'm not going to go into fear. I'm not going to go into unbelief. I'm going to hold on. To your word. That's what we're doing. We're abiding in the word. But if you don't read the word, you don't memorize the word, you don't have the word in you, the day of trouble comes, you have nothing to hang on to. That's why you need to get in the word. So that in the day of trouble, you can say, this is what God has said. Think about Jesus. Because the devil doesn't fight fair. All right, guys, listen real close. The devil does not fight fair. Has he ever fought you fair? Has he ever showed up to attack you when you were ready for it? When you were at your peak? You know what? He showed up to fight Jesus, to tempt Jesus after 40 days of fasting, no food, no water in the desert. Now you show up to, you show up to fight a Christian who's fasting on day one, they'll whoop you. But by day 40, you're kind of... Not even sure who you are anymore. He shows up when Jesus is weak. And what does Jesus say to him? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. He was in the word. You don't have time to go memorize Bible verses when the devil's attacking you. You've got to have the word in you. You've got to be abiding in the word. So that when that attack comes, you can abide on and stand on what God has said. You can declare over your heart, over your life, this is what God has said. I'm going to stand by it. Now we're abiding in the word. And, and instead of abiding in the fear and producing worry, you're abiding in the word. And the word is producing faith. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And when you have faith in your life, you can whip any devil any day because God is on your side because he responds to faith. Come on, somebody. He says, abide in my word and my word will abide in you. How do we do that? A little furthermore, we not only read the word and memorize the word and we abide in the word by believing it, but we completely obey it. Complete obedience. Habitamos en la palabra cuando la obedecemos completamente. We can't obey one part and deny the other. Say amen, somebody. 
And then we are consistent about obeying. Luego somos uh, consistentes en nuestra obediencia. We don't just obey it on Sunday, but we obey it on Monday morning and Tuesday night. We obey it in a consistent way, not just when it's convenient. You know, some days it's real convenient to love. I'll give you an example. You are at the grocery store, and there is uh, somebody behind you with two grocery carts and 43 coupons. And you could say, go ahead of me. You're not going to do that, right? Now, if you did that, it would be inconvenient to show love right at that moment and say, you know what, you go ahead of me. But we have to be willing to show love when it's inconvenient. Now, I'm not saying give your place in line to everybody at the grocery store. I'm just giving you an example. Because then let's say that you check your wallet like I do sometimes and you realize you don't have any, you don't have your debit card in there. And now you got to call somebody, say, hey, uh, check, are you in the car? Yeah, check if my card is in there. And they say, well, I drove off to churches. And it's going to be about five minutes before I can get back. And now it's real convenient to love. Say, lady, ma'am, why don't you just go right on ahead of me? And then you think, oh, I'm so loving. You see, you can't just obey God when it's convenient. There are times when it's convenient to obey God. But there are times when it's inconvenient, like tax time. And he says to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And it's, it's consistency and, and complete obedience to the will and word of God that causes us to remain abiding in the word. And then we totally depend upon the word of God. We completely depend on what God has said in his word. That means we don't look for the way out. You know, Christians love to do that. The preacher will say, this is what the Bible says. And then we go home and we say, yeah, but. Well, that works for him. Because he don't have to deal with what I have to deal with. Well, yeah, he's not married, so it's easy for him to say that. He don't have any kids to... Uh, provide for us. It's easy for him to say to be generous. You know how we just cut out our little way of, of thinking out of the word of God. And what you're doing is not you're shortchanging the preacher. You're shortchanging yourself. Because unless you give complete and total dependence on the word of God and you say, you know what, if it works for him, it's got to work for me. If God said it, I have to know that it's going to happen in my life. You are totally dependent on the word of God. Now you're abiding in the word. And not looking for the way out, looking for the excuse uh, to be able to give God a reason for not answering your prayer or for not coming through. You and I have to stop looking for that. God's not looking for an excuse not to bless you. He's not looking for an excuse to leave a prayer unanswered. Are you listening tonight? He wants to bless you. He wants to fulfill his word to you. What he's looking for is somebody that will say, God, I believe your word. 
I believe it in the middle of the night. I believe it in pain and suffering. I believe it when I'm going through a storm. I believe your word. Come on, somebody, because your word is unfailing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. Say amen, somebody. Tell your neighbor, get in the word. Here's the last one. He says to abide in his love. Now, we talked about this last time. Aquí está la última. Él dice, habita en mi amor. This is John 15, 10. Juan 15, 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Say this with me. God loves me. You believe that? It's so important that you know that and believe that. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Mire, Primera de Juan, capítulo 4, verso 16 y 17. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Now that's important. When you confess Jesus as Lord, God abides in you. Say amen, somebody. And he in God. Verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Notice that. He's two, saying two things about God's love. First of all, we have come to know it. That's the learning part of you. The intellectual part of you. Some of you learned that God loved you when you were in Preschool, Sunday school class. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. You learned that, right? You got head knowledge about it. There's a long way between that word and the next word. John says we have come to know and what? Believe. The word believe there, the word pistos means persuaded of. We have become persuaded of God's love. I have to have the first part. I have to come to knowledge that God loves me, but then I have to believe that. I have to become persuaded of it. And a lot of people, they never get out of knowledge and they never go into faith in God's love. They don't believe in God's love. What am I saying? They, they know God loves, but they don't really believe God loves them. Well, sure, God loves. God is love. They would, they would argue with you all day about that. God is love. God is love. God is love. But then they cut themselves out by saying, but he can't love me like that. He probably doesn't love me the way he loves pastor, the way he loves the elders, or the way he loves the ladies at church, or the men at church, because of the things I've done, because of the sins I've committed, because of the way I've failed, and they have, they have not believed in God's love. They haven't had this faith acceptance of the fact God loves me. 
He loves me dirty, and he loves me clean. He loves me broken, and he loves me whole. He loves me right, and he loves me wrong. Come on, somebody. God loves me. And why is that so important? Why can't I just leave that out of my, my life? This is why you can't afford to leave God's love out of your life. Usted no puede, no tiene el lujo de dejar fuera de su vida la fe en el amor de Dios. Why? Because the Bible says that faith works through love. La fe opera a través del amor. What does that mean? That means when you have an awareness of God's love, your faith grows. The greater your knowledge is of the, way, of the, of the love of God, the greater your faith is toward God. I'll give you an example. Think about that, that one minute after you've just given your children the lecture of a lifetime. Just think about that one minute. They have seen, they have seen your temperature rise. They've heard you become so articulate that it hurt. Right at that moment, your children don't say, Mama, can we have an ice cream cone? Because they're conscious of your wrath at that moment. I did not clean my room. They told me to clean my room. They told me to throw out the trash. I didn't do it. They are conscious of that. So they know you love them. But at that moment, they're not asking for much. And a lot of people live in that one minute with God. They always think God is mad at me. And so I can't ask. Because if I even bring any attention to me, he's going to just come down hard on me and let me know who's in charge. And so they live in a conscious awareness of their past and of their failures and of their sin and of the wrath of God and the anger of God. And they cannot accept anything from God. And they cut themselves out of qualification to receive from God. However, when that person comes into believing God loves me and although uh, he although I have sinned and I have broken his law, his anger has been done away with by the cross. His wrath has been put away with by the blood. And now I have a free and clear access to God. And God has a loving and joyful disposition to me. God wants to bless me. God wants to help me. My, my faith toward God is full. And I can ask for not only for an ice cream cone, but for a Dairy Queen if I want to. Because faith works through love. And so you and I have to abide in his love. And abide in love. Walk in love. Tenemos que habitar en su amor y en el amor. Cuando amamos a Dios y a otros, estamos habitando en su amor. So when we abide in God's love, and then we abide in love for God and love for others, we're abiding in him. And he says, when you do these things, you're going to bear fruit. You won't know what to do with it. Say amen, somebody. God's plan for your life until he comes is fruit. Good fruit. Much fruit. Tell your neighbor, just watch. Come on, do it with some faith. Just watch. Good things are coming out of me. 
Come on, somebody. I say good things are coming out of you. Do you believe that? Stand to your feet tonight. Vamos a ponernos en pie. Come on, just right where you are, just raise your hands. Just abide in him for a few moments. Just make up your mind, Lord, nobody is moving me off of this rock. Some of you are like that old game, king of the hill. The enemy is trying to move you off of the hill. You make up your mind tonight. Jesus is the rock. He's the vine. Nothing's moving me off of Jesus. The devil had his chance. He should have killed you when he had the chance because he's, he's lost you now. You are in Christ. I said you are in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Come on, don't let anything push you off of that spot tonight. Drive your stakes in. Declare it like Peter. Where could I go? Lord, only you have words of life. Don't look at the wind. Don't look at the rain. Don't look at the trouble around you. Stand on Jesus. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. Abide in him. Eat of him. Drink of him. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Come on, and if something got you off that spot, if something got you to move away from Jesus in your faith, make up your mind today. It's all Jesus. I am going to bear fruit. My past will not define my future. 